Sego. I'm John Kane. Welcome to Let's Talk Native. In 1997, the film In Whose Honor was released. This was the first film to finally give voice to Native people speaking out against the use of Native imagery, symbols, and references for the mascots of sports teams at the college and professional levels. Since then, we have made tremendous strides in this effort, but certainly not without the help from many Native and non-Native activists. Today, my guest is Jay Rosenstein, Jay produced and directed In Whose Honor. He is a Peabody and Emmy Award-winning independent filmmaker who has been writing, producing, and editing documentaries since 1991. In Whose Honor is a 48-minute documentary broadcast in the late 90s on PBS stations across the United States as part of the POV television series. The film follows Charlene Teeters as she fights to protect her cultural identity battling the University of Illinois over the mockery displayed with their mascot. Through the point of view of Charlene, Jay is able to use the film to examine the issues of racism, stereotypes, and minority representation in the mass media, as well as the lengths to which one university and its supporters will go to defend their offensive mascot. Jay has also lectured and written extensively about the use of native mascots and remains a resource for many of us as we continue this work to eliminate this identity theft and cultural appropriation. Jay holds a master's degree in journalism from the University of Illinois, Urbana, where he has taught until his recent retirement as an associate professor of journalism. Jay Rosenstein, welcome to Let's Talk Native. bring up the Marxist thing, right, which, you know, it doesn't even make any sense. But, you know, I think what that is, is it's sort of taken straight out of um, sort of uh, right-wing Republican um, playbook, which is that, you know, you, you hear all the, the Trump people and the people on the right and the right-wing media people constantly referring to people on the left as Marxists. So I think they just picked up on that. Um, and they just they just say it. You know, I I did listen to a long presentation that was given uh, here in Champaign by some of the folks um, from from that organization, and um, you know, sort of trying to get a sense of what their actual arguments are that they're making. And you know, first of all, one of their primary ones, which is 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 so laughable and it's ridiculous is that um, that getting rid of mascots is is performing cultural genocide. They use the word genocide. And I always think someone needs to explain to you what the definition of gen- what genocide really is. <laughs> and you should know if, if you're native, you should damn well know what a real genocide is, you know, but the, you know, the idea that you take away a sports mascot, which, which, or, or a, a logo. And now I also try to point out to them, you know, those logos, they like to call those um, Indian imagery. You say, oh, they're, they're banning Indian imagery. And I like to point out, this is a, the thing that they're banning is a drawing that was made by a white guy. So how is that Indian imagery? Because every one of those logos really, for the most part is, you know, it's a drawing by a white guy. Okay, and so so that doesn't tell you anything about Indian imagery. But again, you know, there's sort of no logic to their arguments, um, and and you know, in a way, they they are modeled again after Fox News and after you know these kind of right wing um, ways of spreading propaganda. And um, you know, I, I've heard Eunice Davidson, I think her name is, talk, who I think is maybe the president now or the head or or something. And her thing was, uh, well, the only people who are opposed to mascots are like a handful of 
liberal academic faculty, white academic, and Mar- I guess now we're Marxists. I don't know. And the, and the reason she knows that is because, well, every Native person she knows likes mascots. I mean, that's her, her piece of evidence. And you say, well, you know what? Go to my website. I have a list of, um, of tribes that have all come out with tribal resolutions against mascots, and that's not including the National Congress of American Indians and, and all that. And then they, they argue that, well, those really aren't the people. Those are just, you know, these... Uh, you know, so her only piece of evidence about about whether natives like or don't like mascots is that everyone she knows likes them. Her her and own that, echo chamber, right? And so that yeah, so that's that's all they, that's all she's got. And then the other thing that they've got is that that you know um, that anonymous telephone poll that was done by Sports Illustrated about the Washington team. Self-identifying, you know. Yeah, exactly, on the telephone. So anyone who's, are you Native American? Sure, I'm Native American. What do you want to know? Well, Um, I'll I'll even take that a step farther. I mean, one of the things that, um, in fact, I just posted something recently on social media that there's a lot of talk about this population explosion because of the last census that was done and that Native people, that our population has grown. I says, you do realize that, there's no verification for anybody right. to claim who claims that they're Native American on those census forms. And yeah. we don't exactly have great participation on the U.S. census on our territories. I mean, yeah. I, I didn't respond. I mean, nobody came knocking on my door. And, you know, so there, there is a complete disconnect. Much of the data that, that is associated, you know, at, especially at the federal level, um, with, with our numbers, I mean, I feel much more confident if I if I wanted to find out how many Senecas there were, I I get a hold of the Seneca Nation. I wouldn't I wouldn't try to go to the Bureau of Indian Affairs for that information. Right, right. And 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 of course, you're right. This, this whole idea of of people who are self identifying as Native for these these polls, I mean, you, there's no suggestion that they called Native territories. There's also the way the question is asked. I mean, it yeah, is one thing if you ask somebody do you find such and such offensive? It's another thing when you break it down a little farther and you say, well, how do you feel about non-native people uh, dressed in regalia parading themselves across a football field? Or, I mean, I find one of the most absurd images is the, the Florida state um, mascot who rides a horse, calls himself chief, chief Osceola and throws a spear. Seminoles, in Florida, <laughs> we're horse people, and yeah. so the whole right. thing is 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 absurd on so many different levels. But, but and and going back to your issue about the 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 artwork that they uh, they brandish, you know, if you look the at the on the East Coast anyway, thirty or forty schools use almost the identical image, just with different yeah. colors to it, and it's clip art. Uh, yes, I mean it's yeah, basically clip that. art from the internet, and yeah. and so. How are you trying to suggest that this that this is some special imagery that uh, that is meant to honor anybody when it's really just something you probably didn't even pay for because it was just plucked from the public domain for crying out loud? I mean, it's it's really that absurd. Yeah, there was a, a team that uh, um, I think it was a hockey team on the West Coast, a minor league hockey team that dropped their their logo, and it was an exact plagiarized copy of the Chicago Blackhawks logo. It was identical. And I, and so, and, you know, cause I had never heard of this team. And then they said, here's their logo. And I looked at it and like, they, they did just what you said. They just grabbed the Blackhawks logo and put their own name under it. And it became their logo. It was interesting. Cause I was surprised that the, the Chicago Blackhawks hadn't found them. But um, I think, you know, when you talk about those images, you, you know, you, right there, you're speaking to the crux of the problem, which is that, for most white people, um, and I'm a, a white person, so understand that you know I'm 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 within that group. Um, you know, you see those images, and that's of course all you know about an Indian. And and those images and mascots are a white person's sort of fantasy of what an Indian looks like. Well, and you get you it, and, and and you're touching on a, on a bunch of significant things there, and 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 among them is is again the the harm that is done not just to native people but to the white kids who are being taught that that is what and 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 of course it's not just that is what an indian is but when you by by 
identifying us so strongly or, the, or our existence to that to that imagery, it's like we don't exist anymore. We only exist right. in the in these past, you know, overused uh, stereotypical images. And right. so we are we are rendered as objects of the past and and limited in a timestamp that that's what we were and, and and almost like that's what we always were and yeah and so and, so you that kind of you know I, I tell a story sometimes about meeting you know somebody some high level Department of Commerce uh, uh, gentleman from uh, Washington who had come to a. Um, uh, an incubator in the area, not far from Seneca territory that opened up. And when he was introduced to, to a Seneca business person and he was introdu- introduced by saying, this is such and such. He's one of the most more prominent Seneca entrepreneurs uh, in the area. He literally asked him if he, if he, his work was in beads and leather. I mean, <laughs> and, and we were literally standing there with our mouths hanging open because we, we knew he wasn't being a jerk. I mean, intentionally, he wasn't. He yeah, wasn't trying right. to be a smartass. I mean, he was He's serious. Just ignorant. He yeah. was, and or so this is a, a yeah. government. Well, ignorant is is the right. I mean, he, the, a government official who should know something about commerce, should know something about native commerce, can could have such a uh, su- such an ignorant response. And and I got to think. Well, what was he ever taught? And, and, and as I've done work and I've done public events and, you know, not just radio and television, oftentimes I get the response I get from people is you know, that they can't believe how much their education has betrayed them, that they didn't know, you know, so much of the things that uh, that I might present, whether it's in, in a speech or a, a film screening or something like that. And, you know, and it really is unfortunate, but it gets back to what you were just saying about what these kids are being taught. And. And of course, the history. One of the things that you 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 didn't get to this, but one of the things that the Guardians Association suggests is uh, their new uh, tagline is uh, "Educate, not eradicate." Yeah. Of course, they mm-hmm. actually spelled "eradicate" wrong in their uh, filings. I think for because <laughs> if you spell it with an I R R, it doesn't mean the same thing as "eradicate" with an E. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but. But the problem with that is, look at what education there is right now. They're still teaching happy little pilgrims and happy little Indians you know, stories about Thanksgiving. They're still telling the Pocahontas myth. I mean, that's been debunked so many times. And I don't care if a Disney does a film on it. There's nothing to suggest that Pocahontas and John Smith ever had any kind of relationship, but that's what's still being taught. So not only do we have the Christopher Columbus myth that is still being jammed down our throats, but we have we have all of but this. That's stuff. getting better. Well, and it is getting that's, better. And next that is week, definitely getting better. Next those week statues, we'll, we'll those celebrate. Got pulled out. Yep, yeah. and we'll celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day, where many yeah. places are are finally bailing on it. But but again, those statues coming down. That again, I'm going to attribute some of that back to Black Lives Matter because as they were pulling Absolutely. down Confederate statues, they were pulling down. Right, they're like, what are we doing with these? Get, get, yep. get this guy down. This guy came in and murdered God knows how many millions of of native people, and and there's a statue of him. But they but they still haven't changed how they're teaching it in school though. So even as that's happening in the public, and I think you know uh, people are responding to that. There are still there are still really bad things, really erroneous things. So, you know, when we talk about education, there's, yeah, there's what to teach, but there's also what you need to stop teaching and you need to stop telling, yeah. uh, telling some of the stuff. Look, there was a great um, documentary done by Raul Peck, Exterminate All the Brutes. I don't know if you had a chance to see that or not. No, but I know the, I know who, the name. And, and the one criticism I had, and in fact, Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz uh, contributed. She was a consultant on the film. And I had her on my show. I said, the one thing that bugged me is when he finally got to a place where he wanted to talk about the fact that, we're, that we still exist, and he wanted to cite examples of some of our accomplished Native peoples, everybody he listed was somebody who somehow could demonstrate their accomplishment within the colonial system. So, I mean, and I'm not condemning somebody like Joy Harjo, but Joy Harjo is the is the poet laureate. So she's recognized there, you know, in their system. They, you know, she, uh, he he mentions or puts up uh, uh, Deb Hallen and Sharice David and some other people who were elected into office, or they'll put code talkers up, but they don't put those of us who are still fighting the federal government or, and sometimes fighting troops or police over, over, you know, pipelines or, or land use and that kind of thing. 
So there's so getting back to this issue about education, if all you're going to do is teach about assimilated native people, then that doesn't really do us any good either. And let's face it, if the only reason you're adding a, another layer of education to your curriculum is to justify your mascot, you can only imagine uh, what they're going to uh, be teaching. I mean, they're they're going right. to be they're not going to be teaching anything that could be in the slightest way construed to critical race theory or, or anything that's going to make white people uncomfortable. And so, so that's, you know, that's just, you know, a, a red herring all by itself as well. Well, the, the irony of course, of, of their slogan, first of all, you know, they, first of all, eradication. I mean, just look at the word they use eradication. Like you get rid of a, a, drawing of of an Indian by a white guy and that's eradicating the race <laughs> you know and that again that's their argument it's it's an all or nothing thing um but uh you know the other part of that is they act as though you can't do education and get rid of mascots like it's either or so you if you know you better keep the mascot or else you can't have education which is nonsense and of course you know, the, I think again, the irony is the more real education that people get, the more likely they are going to say, let's get rid of these racist, you know, so education is not what they want. They only want a certain kind of education. They want propaganda, They're, you know, yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, and, you know, I've seen that come up here locally with a, a certain individual who's long been, um, you know, the, one of the leading advocates for keeping the mascot here and bringing it back and all that. And this person constantly complains about what's being taught at the American Indian Studies Department at the University of Illinois. And the reason why is because he doesn't, you know, he doesn't like it because, because it's real, you know, it's real history that's being taught by actual credible, you know, people who, who know the history and, you know, and then he complains that there's no education. Well, there is education, but you don't like it because it doesn't fulfill your goal, which is to tell people that the mascot is good, which is really all you want. Right. You know, you don't, you don't really care about anything else. Just do that. And, and that's all that'll matter. Well, and the other thing is, you know, along with that eradicating language that they use in their slogan now is um, the, this cancel culture and some of these other right wing uh, uh you know, lines that, that are repeated over and over again. Right. And, the, and the suggestion that somehow removing a native mascot is erasure. And any of us who have actually looked at this with, with even, you know, a passing glance know that it's the mascots that are the erasure because exactly. we aren't the ones who right. define that identity. I mean, right. there's a lot of conversation today, you know, about, uh, Facebook and social media and the harm that they're doing to, you know, to uh, uh, body shaming and all this other stuff. Sure. But, you know, there's a part of me that says, look what, what we've experienced because of Hollywood's yeah. Um, yeah. fabrication of our identity. We, we are, we are battling with that today in a way from, from images that they created 50, 60, 70 years ago, you know, so while I'm not, while I'm not defending social media, when I think about what magazines and television and Hollywood has done to to define what a, what somebody is or what they're supposed to be, it's a much bigger problem than social media. And 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 you know, to some extent, social media at least allows us to push back. We could never push back against Hollywood. I mean, right. look at look at one of the most famous native images in all of television it was the PSA that uh, Iron Eyes Cody, uh, right. you know. Uh, was was filmed in uh, yeah. the crying mo or the crying Indian. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. and and he was Sicilian. He wasn't. They they couldn't even grab a native person for the role. <laughs> and and so and and so that imagery ends up being what everybody thinks. And you know, and, and that's even more confusing because it, you have a a, a period of somebody in period dress uh, uh, that looks anachronistic to somebody throwing you know fast food garbage at his feet along the highway and that kind of stuff. But I mean, we we find ourselves in a tough spot where we have white people saying, "Well, you don't look native," or, or sure. you know, you you're you know, because they already have this image of what we're supposed to look like. I mean, Absolutely. and and you know, and this has been built upon, you know, it, it was frankly even before Hollywood. I mean, I I'm one of the few people who who cite the um, genocide editorials of L. Frank Baum. 
I don't know if you're familiar. Al Frank Baum wrote The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. He yeah. wrote these two editorials where he was basically calling for our extermination. And when in doing so, he said, why not annihilation? Their glory has fled. Their manhood has been effaced. Better they die <laughs> than live the miserable wretches that they are. And then he says, people will speak in later ages of the grand kings of the forest and plain. And, and so what he was really saying is, let's not let native people who exist today ruin the legacy that we want to yeah, create sure. their image. Of. And, and, and to right. me, Baum laid down the foundation for what would be the, the, this whole mascot movement in the first place. I mean, you've got a guy who's basically, basically saying, we're going to recreate what we think native people should represent, and we're not going to let native people screw that up for us. And you know, he was basically calling for our extermination. And in doing so... <laughs> It was like within two weeks, the massacre wouldn't need took place after his first uh, genocide editorial. So it wasn't done without harm, put it that way. But oh yeah, but this is this is the experience that that we have when we don't have the opportunity to define ourselves. I mean, look, I, even as I, I tell somebody that I'm Mohawk, that's not even our word. I mean, our word right. for, for who I is Gunyagahog. It means the people of the land of Flint. How many of the words that are used? Even the, the, the so-called tribe names, I mean, where does Lac de Flambeau come from? I mean, I mean. Well, you know what? Well, you can tell where it comes from. It comes sure. from the French. Exactly. But see, well, we have the same thing in Illinois. You know, people say, oh, well, you know, they, when, when we oppose the mascot here, they, you know, they always go, well, what's next? You're going to get us to try to change the name of the state because it's named after, you know, an Indian or an Indian tribe. And it's like. No, it's not really. It's it's a French transliteration of what a French explorer thought he heard, right? Because we don't really know what was said, yeah. and it came out as Illinois. But you know, it's like Lac de Flambeau. Look at the spelling; it's obviously, yeah, you know, it's not authentic in any way. It's what a white person thought he heard, right? Yep. He thought he heard them because you know, there's no recordings, there's no nothing, yeah. so. You know, um, but yes, it's that same thing. It's funny you mention that because I've been to Lac de Flambeau. Yeah, so have um, I. <laughs> and and actually, that was it was um, that was an important part of my own uh, self education about Indian people was spending time up in Lac de Flambeau um, and meeting, uh, you know, making some friends and meeting some Ojibwa people there. And um, it, it, that was actually a really important experience for me because. When you talk about the school systems, et cetera, you know, I went through those school systems. I went to an all white high school. You know, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. If I had ever seen a native person in my life, I didn't even didn't know, know it. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I didn't even, I don't know what a native person was beyond the stereotypes. And it's not as though um, I had any sort of prejudice or anything. I just, you know, if you'd asked me, have you ever met an Indian person? I would have thought, Hell no. I don't, how, how would I know? I don't know. I don't think so. Um, you know, so I came through that too. And I had to go through the process of, of learning and part of making the film in whose honor was also, also giving me a chance to immerse myself even deeper into that, um, and learn so much more. Uh, so it's funny. So then, you know, my kids then are being raised and they're coming, they were coming up through the public school system here. And what I did for my youngest uh, Robert Warrior is a uh, a professor now. He's at Can he's at Kansas, but he used to be here at Illinois. And we actually lived in the same neighborhood. And uh, one of his girls was also friends of my daughter. But at any rate, when it was getting to the point in school where she was going to be learning about, you know, teepees and and the whole thing, you know, I I made sure I, I, the way I emphasized it is okay. Yeah, that's the way Indian people lived a long long time ago, but. You know Robert Warrior, right? Where does he live? Yeah. He lives in a house just the same as our damn house. He lives right down the street, you know? And so it, it was actually useful for me to have a living person that I could point to. And I say, does he wear feathers in his hair and, and, and buckskin? How does he dress? He wears the same clothes that I do, jeans, you know, and, and whatever. And so it did help. And, and, and I think you know, that speaks to the the fact that if there isn't any real presence of real people, it, it's it's hard for non-native people to get a handle on, on so many things without having anyone there to even be an example for you. 
Well, and there's also just a, a huge absence in awareness of the conditions that many native territories exist as today and why they exist this way. I mean, look, as we battle the residential school um, debate that, that is going on and that well, obviously got a bunch of... Talking about issues now coming, oh my God, right? But, but <laughs> one of the reasons school. they did, that they claimed, what, part of the justification for ripping kids out of their homes by the federal government, both on the Canadian and the U.S. side, was the conditions of our territory. But they created those conditions. So there's, right. you know, there's a whole idea of this self-fulfilling prophecy. that They make life unlivable and then suggest that the only solution is to rip our kids away and then uh, assimilate them, forced assimilation. And the irony, of course, is that while this is happening to our children for 100 years is when white kids are being encouraged to dress up, put mom's makeup on their face, and and play Indian. I mean, it, 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 there's an absurdity. Oh, Boy Scouts, too. Yeah, right. Boy Scouts, that's, that's a big place where that gets injected or used to get injected into young boys' sure, heads. Sure. This mystery uh, and, you know, beauty and fantasy about Indian people. Um, mm -hmm. Boy Scouts is huge in doing that. But, but there, I mean, it, there could be nothing more absurd than the dichotomy between white schools encouraging children to play Indian and these <laughs> residential schools where children were not just beaten and abused, but, but, they, but they died. In these Some schools. were murdered, yeah. And, right. and, and the slogan was, kill the Indian, save That's the man. Right. I mean, so, yeah. I mean, you would think when you have that conversation, there would be no more conversation needed. I mean, it's kind of like when the guy um, from Philadelphia who used to paint his face green and would impale the, the rubber head. And when the, the Eagles would play the, the Washington football yeah, team, sure. he'd hoist up the, uh, the impaled Indian head. You right. would think... Once that public that, that picture went public, the debate would have been over. You think the first time somebody put up a sign that said, get ready for another trail of tears, the debate would be over. But it isn't. I mean, and I dare say if you I mean, if Philadelphia, if that Philadelphia fan had taken a head that was black and you know put RG3 across the head and, and hoisted that up, he would have been dragged out of there. If somebody mm -hmm. put up a, a banner that says, get ready for a train to Auschwitz. There's, there's no way, but, but part of the issue, and that's why the allies that we, we have, yourself included, we can't, couldn't do this on our own. We, we have been, we've been trying for, it's actually been almost 50 years, and you're right, Black Lives Matter did give a huge uh, jolt towards some level of consciousness associated with social yeah. justice, and we, yeah. ha we, were, we have been the beneficiary of some of those movements, even when... Even if it wasn't intended. I mean, when I saw Colin Kaepernick take the next step beyond kneeling because of black people that were being killed by police, but then travel to Alcatraz and, and do some of and stand up right. for some of the things that he stood up for. Right, right. I realized that that those allies are the ones that are really going to help us make make the difference in, in some of what we're trying to do. Well, as someone who. Uh, thinks of myself as an ally and I've tried to live that consistently. You know, one of the, the problems that allies face um, is the fact that, you know, um, you know, you stand up, but of course then people say, well, you know, you're just trying to speak for native people. Who are you to speak for native people? Why don't I see any native people around here? Um, and I always try, have always tried to be as absolutely careful as I can to never in any way suggest that I'm speaking for Native people or that I am Native. And usually when I speak, I always make that clear right from the start. I'm not a Native person. I do not represent Native people. I can only tell you what I have learned from the Native people who I know. Right. And, and that's then right. that's the way I do it. But so sometimes allies, you know, we're sort of stuck in, in a, you know, an uncomfortable middle situation where at the same time you don't want to assert yourself a, as a white person and drown out a native person in doing that. Right. So, you know, you want to make sure that you give the native people a chance to have the first voice. So, you know, you have to watch out for that. And then if, if there's, they're so hopelessly outnumbered, which happens in a lot of places that, you know, they really, and I have had colleagues here, native colleagues ask me, you know, specifically to have for help, 
can you help? Cause I can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't step forward. I can't, I can't even think about it anymore. No, you there, know? There's it's a burnout. My that, life. There's a burnout that people and, experience in this. Right. And, uh, and, and so it's then, hard course, to do this for a long, long you time. Step, oh God, you, you know that, but you step forward then as a non-native person. And then, you know, you have to take the criticism that you're not a native person. So it gets a little hard, but you know, I've always, the, the, I've always felt very comfortable and confident in the place that I've tried to, um, put myself as an advocate and, and again, make very clear, I'm not a native person. I don't represent any native person. I don't speak for native people. And also even in making in whose honor, I made a very concerted effort to never in any of the narration say anything that sounded like I was speaking for a native person. In other words, the whole idea was let the native people speak. That was sort of one of the fundamentals of the film was let the native people say their piece or say what they have to say. Don't try to interpret it for them or reshape it. Let the native people speak. Let people hear what they have to say. One of the most dedicated allies here at, at the University of Illinois for on this issue is a retired professor named Steve Kaufman. And um, Steve uh, was interesting because uh, he, he tried to continue to think about this issue in a very strategic way. In other words, you know, you don't have the numbers, so you're always going to lose on majority. So, you, you know, you can't win that. No public referendums, right? Yes, exactly, because you can't win that. But, you know, he was always thinking strategically, like, where is a place where there's an opening <laughs> that we might be able to get in? One of the things he did was when the university here was actually um, going through its, um, not confirmation, I forgot, the word escapes me right now, but... Um, you know, he, he sort of snuck into that and brought the, the mascot issue into that and kind of threw that process off for the institution. So my point is, he's really the one, I think, more than anyone who essentially came up with the idea of what if we can influence the NCAA to take a stand? And then you don't have to go from school to school, right? And so he had spent a lot of time working with people from the NCAA and, 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 and actually drove his car down there and met with uh, Miles Brand, who was, I think, the president at the time, met face-to-face -face meeting. He brought a local native man, wonderful guy, who sadly just passed away recently, named Durango Mendoza, who's in my film as well. And, and they drove to, and had a sit-down with Miles Brand and really was able to convince him of the magnitude of this problem. Um, and so anyways, this is a long story, but when no. you talk about allies, you know, I think it's important that Steve's contribution needs to be known by everyone, that he was really more than anyone, the guy who, who did the behind the scenes work to make that happen. Um, Cause I don't think it would have happened without him. Well, and I know it's, there are you know certain names that people, you know, are drawn to, in this battle and, and there have been many people have been who have been a part of uh of taking the, this fight on and and i sometimes think there is false credit given to some people i mean i remember <laughs> when barack obama weighed in on the washington football name and do you remember his his quote it was something along the lines <laughs> if i had a team and if that team had a name in spite of its storied tradition and history um, had a name that a significant number of people found offensive, I think about changing the name. I mean, how many hypotheticals can you put in one goddamn <laughs> sentence? I mean, why couldn't Barack Obama just said, no, Washington should change the name? I, I actually well, got, that, into an, Obama. <laughs> I got into an argument with, uh, with Suzanne Harjo on one of my shows because I said, oh, really? yeah, because she was trying to defend his comment. I said, no, that's not what he said. I mean, he didn't say he, he never flat out came out and said yeah. they should change the name. I mean, he, he created this, this whole, you know, right. series of, of hypotheticals. And the worst one is, was the suggestion that a significant number of people had to be offended by it. Be yeah, because 
right. by any account, we aren't a significant number. I mean, if you compare us right. to, the, to the rest of the population, like you, like you said earlier, we are never going to have the numbers. So if we no, don't never. have allies, if we don't have the means to to force this, essentially, force this change. And look, and there are there, there are places that are more woke than others, but there's also pockets of deep-seated conservatism that that have politicized everything from wearing a mask uh, and vaccines to yeah. you know, to this. And and you can't change those people, not through any sort of public campaign. No, I don't think you can either. So, and I appreciate what you're saying about Kaufman and the uh, and the NCAA. We we're seeing now a few states that have gone through and passed laws to uh, to prohibit yeah. native mascots, and some create conditions where if they can get permission yeah. or do something or make there's arrangements. Four. Yeah, there's four right now. Four states. And part of that concern that I have is you're, that's still just four states. I mean, and, and granted, it's more than none. But, you know, I look at someplace like New York that they do have a bill on the books. But I, I and I got to ask you, because I know your documentary on uh, separation of church and state, uh, um, it, you know, delves into, into law. And. So, I mean, one of the questions that, that, that I'm hitting people with, including the commissioner of education here in New York State, is you have existing law. You have anti-bullying laws. You have anti-discrimination laws. You, as, yeah. as a commissioner, somebody charged with this in this position, following a commissioner from 20 years ago when Commissioner Mills from, from New York basically told schools, you need to get rid of these things. He just didn't, he, he just didn't create a, a, an official mandate. But, oh, really? 20, but 20 years later... You can use existing laws that didn't exist 20 years ago and take that authority as the as the as the commissioner of education and prohibit it. Mm -hmm. And and I wonder how many states have existing laws that if they do have a state education department, which I assume most of them do, that do they really have to wait for for legislative action that can, you know, sometimes sometimes take decades? I mean, I was really disappointed again during the Obama administration when Arne Duncan mm -hmm. he basically whiffed. He hardly said anything about the the native mascot issue. I mean, even if you couldn't mandate or 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 dictate as they say, I mean, he 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 offered almost nothing in in the conversation. It's like how how is that even possible? I mean, right now in New York the New York Association of School Psychologists have basically advocated a ban. I mean, I would think you throw that on the on the desk of uh, Dr. Betty Rose, the commissioner of New York State Education Department. Does she need anything more than that? Well, yeah. I don't know. You and shouldn't need anything more than that, right? You know, I guess you know you'd have to look at each individual state and each individual community as to you know how, how much. Uh, power or influence, you know, each of those boards has. One thing you have to keep in mind, though, and, and I, I'm since now I'm aware of where you live and where you're from. So, you know, you're, you know, you're in upstate New York, which is very different from that bottom part there. Yeah, I'm in West, every, actually in Western New York. Uh, Cambridge is is okay. in, uh, is is near Albany, but I'm living in Seneca territory, so I'm 30 miles south of Buffalo. Buffalo, and and you're right, oh. the pockets of uh, of right wing conservatism still lace through a state like New York. I mean, just like they do yeah, in California, so, even so. So what you also have to to understand is very often the members of the school board, the school superintendent, et cetera, in these communities grew up and came from those communities. And so they're already invested in this mascot. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's really, you know, so it's not that you're always having school superintendents or, or administrators who are sort of neutral parties. They're not. Right. That happens here all the time. You, you know, I go to my kid's school and, uh, you know, I'm amazed at how many of the teachers all came from this area. And Champaign-Urbana, so, you know, it's a lot like maybe Manhattan in that it's a, it's a fairly liberal little island, mm. right? But then as soon as you step off that island, it gets completely conservative. When you, you open know, up the gates white. and let football fans come in, all of a sudden you, you get a different Well, that's where a lot of them come exactly. from. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, also the, the teachers who teach in the Champaign Public Schools, a lot of them grew up in those towns. Mm -hmm. and, and grew up that way. And then that's something that I've had open discussions with, with my daughter is we talk about, oh, where's this teacher from? 
you know, like, did they grow up here to, you know, to try to get a sense of just where they're coming from, you know, to get a handle on. And, and a lot of times it's on this issue, you know, uh, my daughter had a teacher. It's not uncommon, I guess, for teachers to show up wearing chief Illini shirts in yeah. the public school. And this is what place where you're absolutely correct. There are already rules on the books that would absolutely forbid it, but you have to get an administrator to admit that there's something wrong with that image, that it's the same or it's, it's analogous to, you know, KKK imagery or, you know, all the other kinds of imagery that you can understand. So, you know, it's not so much even applying that rule, but those, you're right. Those rules are there already about what, what teachers can and can't wear. And they can't wear something that's, that's racially insulting, but, but then they put that on and everybody in the school who runs it, they don't understand that that image is also racially insulting. Well, the big big push, the big push right now is uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. That is, you know, that is the schools are being encouraged, if not forced to adopt um, what they call, again, diversity, equity, and inclusion practices. They, they, their uh, staff members are going through trainings and it's all about trying to diminish discrimination, racism. Uh, and if you ask anybody who does diversity, equity, and inclusion training, can you, can you effectively institute a program of diversity, equity, and inclusion in a school that's appropriating an image of a people uh, promoting a stereotype and creating that level? And they said, no, you can't. I mean, so you're right. So there's rules, there's policies, and there are laws that are on the books right now. Yeah. What I will say about what's happening in New York, and in fact, I've been battling my old high school uh, in Cambridge, New York, and they had a small school board, only five people on it. Um, when I first went to Cambridge in November with my request for them to drop the, the mascot, early on, I think four of those board members were prepared to vote to drop the mascot. One of them was really, was really dug in. Um, but as the, as the heat built up over it and, and the vitriol started, one of the board members resigned just flat out resigned. So now yeah. I had, now I had three, uh, three against one essentially. So I had three board members. Well, when, uh, because she resigned at the next board election, there would be um, two vacancies to fill, not just, just one. Um, and one of them would be filled immediately. And the other one wouldn't get filled until the next board meeting or something like that. So, so in June, after a really extended delay, um, and I started this process in, in March or in, in November. They were supposed to vote on this thing in March, and they didn't. They, they decided they were going to bring in some conflict resolution teams and do healing circles to make people feel better about, you know, I don't know what they're supposed to feel better about. But anyway, so that's what they, they tried, and they went really badly. Those turned into almost debacles. When they, when they were doing them online, Zoom, it was fine. But when they started doing live <laughs> events, it, it, they, they almost turned into brawls. I mean, it was terrible. Um, so in June, they were going to put it to vote. They read a resolution to retire the mascot, and they were going to vote on it, but didn't. They didn't vote on it. Instead, the superintendent and the board president kind of backed off a little bit and said, well, we could draft another resolution that we, where we keep the name but get rid of the imagery. And so they decided they would draft another resolution, come back in two weeks, for a week or something like that, and uh, and then they would hold a vote. So that's still in mm-hmm. June. In the in the week between that is when news of the New York State Association of School Psychologists. Um, I think the Washington Post did an article, or um, it, it it the heat got turned up on on Cambridge, and the attention to Cambridge uh, kind of grew. And in that week between those two. Um, there was enough of a change. Now, keep in mind, the one uh, newly elected board member who, and these two board members ran solely on play, on the mascot issue. They, they oh, yeah, had, they that had happens no, all the time, sure. So the one new board member, so now they had a complete board of five people, and it looked like there was two that were a staunch advocates for the mascot and three that weren't. And uh, so they voted... Um, for a resolution to keep the name but change the uh, the uh, the in, uh, the imagery, and it failed. 
So then they turned around and voted for the original resolution, which was to retire the mascot. And and it passed three to two. The next month when that other board member got seated because they lost one of the three. Now they had a three, two majority and they immediately without looking at any of the information, they immediately went and and voted uh, to rescind the last resolution and reinstate the mascot. So that so that that's July. In August, <laughs> this is the the, the right ca- calendar here. In August, uh, a number of families in Cambridge filed what they call the three ten petition with the uh, New York State Department of Education, suggesting that that vote in July was arbitrary and capricious and was creating an environment that now, was, was i remember I've, I've read about i read all about this i didn't know that you were that yeah. that was your school. that's my that's my that's my school that's my alma mater so yeah so the commissioner posted about that okay good so the commissioner um yeah. takes the petition and then issues a stay they were actually um asking for a stay yep. to yep. do away with the re- reinstatement of the mascot and she issues it in in, in august right and then Cambridge does nothing. And so now she just recently issued a couple of reprimands to Cambridge saying, you better do something. I told, you know, my uh-huh. order is clear and I have the authority to remove officers and cut funding to your school. So you better start doing what, you, you know, what the order suggests. And even though it's only a stay, this stay could be in place for a year or two. They yeah, I I actually got this up on my website on my list of schools that have changed. And, and so you may be interested. This is the way I sort of read and, and understood it based on just reading the story. So sure. you can tell Go me if right or wrong. And I, it's meant to be short, though, but it was uh, listed on, you know, I have these chronologically. So, you know, listed August 25, 2021, Cambridge Central School will not have a nickname or mascot this year after New York State Education Commission, oh, Commissioner, sorry, Betty Rosa uh, issued a stay on a July 8 school board vote to reinstate the Indian nickname and mascot. The board had voted on June 17 to retire the Indian nickname and mascot by a three to two vote. That decision was reversed on July 8th, also by a three to two vote when a new member joined the school board. So that's what that's my description on now of you know, because I have this list of schools as they change chronologically. Sure. And, you know, each time there'd be something with Cambridge and I have to erase the old one, you know. And so this is where I'm updated to right now, which uh, did that sound reasonably accurate? Yeah, and, to and where, where it's at now okay. is a, a number of families who were, were the petitioners reached out to um, um, to the New York State Department of Education and said, look, they're not doing anything. Your order was that they had to abide by the yeah. resolution of June, right. which meant you had to take certain measures. You had to remove the, right. the industry where you nothing. could. You, I mean, if yeah. you have existing uniforms or something that you've ordered, you, you can still use that stuff. But you need to start demonstrating stuff. And that order also said you needed to make uh, the, the resolution said that they had to create a plan for naming a new mascot. These are all the things the school was supposed to have done, and they did none of it. So she sends a uh, a letter essentially reprimanding the school and basically saying, now I want you to send me clear documentation that you mm-hmm. are moving in that direction. So, And now that's the, the news story. In fact, I just gave an interview to um, to a television station out there in in, uh, in the Albany area uh, about, about this. So, again, as it stands, Cambridge doesn't have a mascot. And they they are ordered essentially by the New York State Commissioner to um, uh, to fulfill its resolution to retire the mascot. Now the interesting thing here is is this an overreach by the commissioner? Because some of the th- you know and, and even the superintendent in in this, in an article in the paper called the Times Union had su- suggested some concern about the fact that you know th- could this commissioner make all schools change their, their, their mascots if they don't do it on their own. And, and so it raises an interesting question, but, but what, but what really the, the crux of this debate was that newly seated board members ran solely on uh, the platform of keeping the mascot 
and never considered any of the information. They have, they have thousands of pages. I mean, they've got, you know, as you mentioned earlier, they've got every native territory that's issued a resolution. They've got the American Psychological Association, the New York State right. Association of School Psychologists. They've got um, individual testimony. And I provided a bunch, of, a bunch of information, but there's thousands of pages of documents. And without looking at any of it, they just did a knee-jerk vote uh, to, to rescind the, the retirement resolution. And that is what Rosa essentially is saying was arbitrary and capricious and harmful. And now there are, there are kids that are being essentially being bullied because they're the kids of some of the parents who did some of this. I mean, it's, it's, not, oh, a, yeah. it's not a pretty situation. But, but I guess what I wonder is, did Cambridge create the environment for Dr. Rosa to say, as the New York State Commissioner of Education, it is time that we have a firmer stance on this. You know, my twenty-year-old predecessor from twenty years ago issued a a statement. Maybe it's time for me to issue an order. And mm -hmm. and, and this right. isn't this isn't about necessarily overriding a school board. It, in many ways, and you know this yourself, this is a relief because there are many school boards who know what they should do but don't want to have to do it because they don't want to have to face the public. Yeah. Some of them, right. Some of them do. You know, I have this great quote that I got from a principal. Um, I don't know if we have time now, if we do, if we could, I'll look it up for you. Um, that, that really gets to the crux of, of the research and all that. Um, I don't know. Do we have time yeah, now? No, go, or yeah, no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Let me just see if I can take a minute. Let me just see if I can find it quickly. If I can't find it quickly, then forget it because it's buried in other stuff. But um, one of my favorite quotes that came from a New York or, or from Lancaster High School out here in Western New York from the, the superintendent. And it was um, in response to all this cry for a public referendum. And he said, um, issues of social justice should not be yeah, determined right. in the same way that a prom queen is selected. And I thought that right. was a great quote. <laughs> that is great. Okay. Let me just see. All right. So there is this beautiful statement that this uh, uh, woman made, and she was the, I think she was the principal of the school, and um, I tried to remember to flag it. <laughs> I'm the and same course, way, I'm the same way. And, and now I'm looking, I'm searching for it like I always do, right? <laughs> like, where did I put that? All right, hang on. Maybe I, I'm hoping I tagged it in a way that, I mean, I think it's some of the work that's been done, and, and again, I, I do applaud the, the work that you've done, but, you know, as it stands, I mean, I think some of the work that folks like Stephanie Freiberg has done and how often her work has been cited, I had her on my program here a couple of, yeah. a couple of weeks ago, and, and she needs to really be applauded for, for really setting the standard from, from a psychologist standpoint um, and really detailing Although most of her detailing is the harm done to Native kids, I still think that there needs to be a, a more thorough evaluation on how much the non-Native kids are damaged by this. Because I, I don't think that should be uh, downplayed. I think it's significant. And me as a Native person, and I think about my kids, they're going to face those white kids later on. And, and the level of ignorance that they're carrying with them from their school experiences, it's like the, the guy from the Department of Commerce in Washington. I mean, and that's what we face. Any There's, luck? Uh, Any luck? No, I'm okay. sorry. That's all right. uh, when I find it, I'll email it to you just okay. so you can okay. have okay. it for okay. great. It really, it's, it was just such a, a well-spoken, very short explanation by a print by a you know local school principal about why why you have to do this and there's nothing to even question about it <laughs> that this is just has to well, happen. And I, hate, I hate to compare you know the racism that native people have experienced in any way but certainly in the mascot issue to to what others have experienced and and you know but you have to do i mean i, I do the RG3 you do have to head, do it yeah. head thing and but if we all know that blackface is wrong, right, how, how is it possible that redface isn't? I mean, and isn't throwing on a headdress the same as redface? I mean, and, and and literally some of these folks, and I think about this, the image of the guy from the Cleveland baseball fan with his red face standing face yeah. to face against, uh, yeah, know. you know, I mean, you, 
And you know, white people didn't want to give up blackface. They right. didn't. They didn't want to give it up. They. They look. Al Jolson was the number one entertainer in the United States of his time, and and that's why you still see these pictures come from the governor of Virginia or the prime minister of Canada right. when they, you know right. when they were right. doing blackface in college. I mean, yeah, they, right. These things persist, but they know it's wrong and they have to do damage control. And yet, fifty thousand people can show up in a in a football stadium. Um, in red face and in feathers and you know in all of this you know this cheap knockoff mockery, and 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 people are okay with it. I have conversations with people in my own family sometimes o- over this, and and again, older folks kind of accept it. Well, it is what it is, and it's always been that way. And I'm says no, but it doesn't always have to be that way. And and as you you have indicated, the good news is we're winning this. And, we are winning, and and look, we're not winning because of Washington. Washington changed because of us. I mean, we we forced Absolutely. we forced this change. Absolutely, and there will be a time where there'll be no schools that have native mascots. But but here's the part that concerns me. The part that concerns me is we still owe the kids an explanation, and and I the the fact that this could linger you know, uh, and have lingering resentment with, you know, with kids because of how angry their parents might be. These, all these guys who peaked in high school, who can't get over <laughs> having, having worn this, you know, these <laughs> uniforms or whatever else. I'm sorry, but <laughs> I had to say, it. Oh, yeah. but uh, I mean, it's I think we, we owe it to these kids to explain it and, and, and shame on teachers who are unwilling. And, and this is something that could be dealt with in, uh, from a from a literature standpoint, from you know organizations like the, the theater programs, from you know, and, and not just in sports, and not just in history, and frankly, frankly, it could be even be done dealt with in in science to some extent. These are the the kids deserve an explanation. They they sh- they not only deserve an explanation as to why it should change, but why it did change. Yeah, I think what what I've seen now is is that those kids that generation. They're sort of the only ones left in those ages advocating for these kind of things. I think your average kid who isn't a child of a parent who is like super into the the team or sports or whatever, I think the average kid understands right away what's wrong and then it's got to go. So I think, you know, and, and I'm not talking necessarily because they learn in school, but I think they just, they get it through the, through the air through the internet, um, you know, I've really found that. And so like the only, I think, group left that's still fighting for it in these kids age group are those that, you know, had parents who are hardcore. But I can't tell you how many people I've met, you know, um, who have told me, yeah, God, my my dad used to be the biggest chief thing, you know, and, and, and they still, they were able to make that leap. But anyways, I think more and more just kids who don't have any preconceived ideas about this are more and more get it right from the start. I really do. And that's a change. And that's changed, I think, just in the last several decades where I just think, yeah, the average kid pretty much gets it right away. Jay did send me that statement he was looking for. This is from Principal Lisa Delonis of Pocatello High School in Idaho. As professionals, we are bound to recognize and implement the most current and relevant research in order to provide the best education and the best educational environment for our students. We don't say, in my opinion, we say research shows. Research is the cornerstone of education. On this topic of whether or not to retire the Pocatello High School Indian name and mascot, the research is compelling. Native American mascots harm Native American students. In fact, they harm other students as well. Jay suggests this statement should be sent to every school board member, principal, chancellor, president, and administrator of every school in the United States that has a Native mascot. I'll add that perhaps state education departments need to be added to that list. 
I want to encourage our listeners to check out In Whose Honor. The film is just as relevant today as it was back in 1997. You can find it online by searching for In Whose Honor with a question mark at the end. I want to thank Jay Rosenstein for joining me on this episode of Let's Talk Native. As always, if you like what you hear, you can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash let's talk native. You can follow the show on Twitter at Let's Talk Native. You can also follow us on Instagram at Let's Talk Native TV. You can also join our Facebook group page. I am John Kane, and this is Let's Talk Native. Yahweh.